you can go ahead and be seated. Unless, well, unless you're feeling a standing ovation coming on. Listen, there was a packed crowd this last hour, and one guy stood up for what I'm getting ready to do. Are you ready? Thank you very much. Yeah, you can applaud that. <laughs> Honey, it's Christmas Eve. Why is he playing when the saints go marching in? Well, kids, I've got a great answer to that question. Here it is. It's because it's the only song I know on the harmonica. And uh, I wanted to play the harmonica tonight because, well, when I, we're talking about story today. And when I think of story, I think of my grandma, Katie, telling a powerful story, which makes me think of a harmonica because she played the harmonica. It gives you an insight in what's weird and goes on inside of my head. It makes me think of harmonica. So yesterday, yesterday I told my wife, Dawn, I'm going to talk about harmonica uh, today. Hey, where is, we, we had a bunch of these around the house at one point, and she said, oh, we threw those away a long time ago. <laughs> Why? Well, it's because they're annoying, right? I mean, every one of our kids had these at some point. They bought it on some field trip. We threw them away. Parents, listen, tomorrow morning at about 10.30, some of you are fairly new parents. Can I let you in on kind of an age-old secret from older parents? At about 10.30 tomorrow, you're going to thank me for this. This, one, this one's free. Somebody is going to get one of your kids a super annoying present. It's probably going to be grandma. I mean, she's going to do it. It might be an uncle. He probably will do it. And it's okay. Some of those, they go on, they run on batteries. It's okay. Look at me. Look at me. It's okay if the batteries run out. That is a very okay thing on Christmas morning. Okay. So I told Dawn, I need a harmonica. Who has a harmonica? Yesterday, I grabbed a couple of the boys because I realized, hey, Cracker Barrel always sells harmonicas, and their food is delicious. So I took a couple of them. We went down to Cracker Barrel, bought one at the old country store. Because, well, I needed it for this moment. But also, I thought my nephew Wyatt, he needs a harmonica in his life. And uh, my brother needs his son Wyatt to have one of these in his life. Yesterday, about noon, when this plan landed on me and I hatched this scheme, I wasn't really feeling in the Christmas mood, the Christmas spirit until that moment. Now I'm totally ready for the family to get together. I'm looking forward to slipping this to old Wyatt and watching the hilarity ensue. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Grandma. My grandma would play the harmonica. <laughs> She'd start playing the harmonica, and all the grandkids, there were 19 of us, we'd gather around because this meant grandma's getting ready to tell a story. She would call us all in with the harmonica playing, spit flying everywhere, right? Grandma, kids, uh, grandma didn't have teeth. She could take her teeth out and put them on the seat next to her. Kind of a cool trick, right? Grandma would start playing the harmonica. We'd all lean in. Here comes the story. Nine times out of ten, this was the story that she would tell. It's about a boy named Tiki Tiki Timbo, Noso Rimbo, Harry Berry Buscus, Perry Penny, Nishiaimo, Pom Pom. The grandkids, we subtitled this 
the boy with the really long name, right? And I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's a fairly long story to tell and grandma would embellish it. But basically the plot line is this. You've got a grandma. You've got Tiki Tiki Timbo, Noso Rimbo, that guy. And then you've got one other character in the story. She would usually pick out one of the cousins. Sometimes it got to be me. So Stan is out playing in the backyard with Tiki Tiki Timbo, Noso. Grandma has told the two boys, be careful. Don't play around the well because bad things can happen to boys that play around the well. Sometimes they fall into the well and really bad things happen. Well, as boys do, that's exactly what happened. They're playing. Tiki Tiki Timbo falls into the well. He runs inside. He tells Grandma, hey, Grandma, Grandma, Tiki Tiki Timbo, no Rimbo, hairberry Bruce, spray pitting to Shama Pom Pom, he fell down the well and he can't get out. Well, it turns out Grandma, not only does she not have teeth, but she must be hard of hearing because her response to that was, What's that you say? Then Grandma would stretch this out. She'd go really slow. I said, Grandma, Tiki Tiki Timbo. No. This would go on for like five times. She'd repeat it, and all the grandkids were leaning in. Where are we going with this story? The story ends tragically. At the end of the story, basically, you realize because it took so long to say this boy with the long name, his name, it took so long to say it, he was in the well too long. And he didn't make it. Tragic story, right? This side of the child-adult divide, I look back on those moments and I think about that. I think of a couple of observations. First of all, the spit flying with the harmonica playing was awesome. Second of all, that's a tragic story to tell kids, right? I mean, grandma and grandpa, they were hard I mean, they lived through the Depression. We'd go and visit Grandma and Grandpa's house. Kids, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They had this outhouse. We had to go outside to use the restroom. Grandma and Grandpa, they were not helicopter parents. They weren't afraid to tell stories about life and death. Sometimes the truth, it's valuable. Because here's the other observation. Stories are powerful. I still remember that story as an adult. And check this out. Maybe grandma was a genius because grandma and grandpa, they also had a well in their backyard. Guess who didn't play around the well? Because he had heard many times what happened to Tiki Tiki Timbo. I didn't want that happening to me or any of my cousins or my little brothers and sisters. It, it, it's cozy in here. Some of us have a tradition in our family where we read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2 in our, our cozy family environments. And uh, maybe it happens in your family on Christmas Eve. Maybe it happens in your family on Christmas morning. But we're a church family. This is a cozy vibe in here. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask kids. If we've got some kids in this space, would you help us tell the greatest story ever told? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're willing, turn to mom and dad right now. Ask their permission. Make sure they're okay with it. If they're okay with it, kids, I would like to invite you to come over here and join us on this rug or over in this area. Pastor Tony has a story to tell. It's the greatest story that's ever been told.
Some of you know Pastor Tony, he directs our preschool. Some of you know Pastor Tony because he was the kids pastor here, children's pastor for a very long time. Some of you moms and dads, you knew him back when. This is a full circle moment for you. Send your kids up here. Maybe you know your kids well enough to know they can't sit still for five minutes. That's cool. If you want to come up and join them up here, you're welcome to do that. This is the greatest story ever told. And while you guys walk up here and grab a seat, let me tell you about the power of story. A story has five basic but very important elements. These are the characters in the story, the setting in the story, the plot of the story, the conflict, and then ultimately the resolution. If you listen carefully to this story, you can hear these elements here. They keep the story moving forward. They engage the listener. This is the greatest story ever told. Are you ready? Pastor Tony, tell us a story. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Now Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be afraid, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see who he was talking about. Perhaps it was someone else. Mary, Gabriel said as he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung the planets into space and kept them whirling and whirling around, he is the one. He's making himself small and coming as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? Hmm, but it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see. And she believed, I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just like the angel said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. 
But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. There was not a bed to be found. Go away, the innkeeper said. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere else except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and donkeys and horses stayed. And there in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed in the straw and used the animal's feeding trough as a cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus. That's right. Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared. Of all the stars in the dark vaulted heavens, this one showed clearer. It blazed in the night and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when his baby son was born to be like a spotlight. Shining on him, lighting up the darkness, showing the people to where he was. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep the good news to himself. He'd been waiting all those long years for this moment, and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. Remember, he had sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He had put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here. He's come. Go and see him. My little boy. Now, where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or a palace, perhaps? God sent his to a little hillside, outside a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside of Bethlehem. In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and said they were smelly and called them rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy old riffraff. But God must have thought shepherds were very important indeed because they were the ones he chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in the open field warming themselves by a campfire when suddenly the sheep darted. They were frightened by something. The olive trees rustled. What was that? A wing beat? They turned around, and standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, 
the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone everywhere. Today in David's town in Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go and see him. He's sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud, except it wasn't a cloud. It was angels, troops and troops and troops of angels armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song. Glory to God, to God be fame and honor and all our hoorays. Then as quickly as they appeared, they were gone. The shepherds stamped out their fire, left their sheep, raced down the grassy hill, through the gates of Bethlehem, down narrow cobble streets, through a courtyard, down some step, step, steps, past an end, around a corner, through a hedge, until at last they reached the tumble-down stable. They caught their breath, then quietly they tiptoed inside. They knelt on the dirt floor. They had heard about this promised child, and now here he was, heaven's son, the maker of the stars, a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like a, that bright star shining in the night, a light to light up the whole world, chasing away darkness, helping people to see. And the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. The greatest story ever told. Can we give a round of applause to our kids for helping tell that story? <laughs> Kiddos, you can head back to sit with mom and dad. And as you do, let me just make this statement. On your way out, this is up to mom and dad, but if you've earned a treat, we've got a treat for you, and it's up to mom and dad to give that to you or not, but sit quietly, sit good. The rest of the service, there's an opportunity for you for a treat on the way out today. The greatest story ever told, and every great story needs a hero. We're all looking for a hero. I've been reading quite a bit this past week about a literary device. It's called the hero's journey. You might not be familiar with this theory, but if you've watched any movies in the last few decades, you've probably, well, you probably know the story. An unlikely hero receives a call to leave home and enter into a bigger world, then finds guidance from a wise mentor, then overcomes obstacles and opposition while achieving a goal, and then returns home forever changed while the world benefits from the hero's deeds. Like I said, Pretty much every Hollywood script sells their movie with the hero's journey. We have a Christmas tradition in the Killebrew house tomorrow afternoon or evening. Christmas Day, we always go and see a movie. And I would say probably 10 out of the last 10 Christmas Day movies we've seen celebrate the hero's journey. Personally, I'm advocating for the, the new Matrix movie. I'd like to see that with the family. And I bet that the hero's journey is present in that story as well. 
The hero's journey was introduced by a mythologist. I bet you didn't know there was such a thing. I didn't either until this past week. His name is Joseph Campbell, and Time Magazine named his book The Hero with a Thousand Faces, one of the 100 most influential books ever written. By the way, the Bible was number one. It was later popularized this, popularized this idea of the hero's journey by a guy by the name of Christopher Vogler, uh, who was a creative developer for Disney, who during the making of The Lion King circulated a seven-page memo applying this theory to film. Hollywood executives went nuts over it, and they've been sending cinema's greatest heroes like Harry Potter, Frodo Baggins, Katniss Everdeen, Nemo, Spider-Man, Simba, Luke Skywalker, they've been sending them on this hero's journey ever since. In fact, Star Wars was so deeply influenced by the idea that George Lucas referred to Joseph Campbell as, quote, my Yoda. The hero's journey story is hardwired into humans on a deep subconscious level. And stories from throughout history and across culture uh, universally tell the same archetypal story. In other words, storytellers did not start with a template and then create plots to fit it. They simply told stories, and amazingly, a unified and shared narrative, the hero's journey, emerged. The reason, the reason that these stories resonate with people as much as they do is because they hit on something deep inside of us. Star Wars. Star Wars is timeless, not because of the spectacle or the revolutionary special effects, but because we connect with Luke Skywalker's coming-of-age journey. In 1997, The Lord of the Rings was voted the greatest book of the 20th century, and rightfully so. For almost seven decades at that point, readers had resonated with Frodo's journey from the peaceful Shire to the dark land of Mordor with his perseverance and his sacrifice, with good prevailing over evil. Somebody should turn those books into a movie. That would make a great movie. These and so many other beloved stories connect with people because they contain timeless human truths and yearnings. The hero's journey is, in a sense, the human journey. The existence of so many parallel stories has led a whole bunch of people to discount the story of Jesus as yet another face of this archetypal hero following the same fictional path as so many others. And yet, I would submit to you that this universal story, the hero's journey, must have a source. So where does it come from? Hear me. It comes from the realization that Jesus is not just one of a thousand faces, nor is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, merely another version of this timeless tale. Rather, Jesus is the hero whom all lesser heroes reflect, and the gospel is the one true story. This is why the story that our kids just enjoyed is the greatest story ever told. This realization was behind a, com a conversation between C.S. Lewis and a friend of his. C.S. Lewis. This is the uh, handsome-looking guy who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. If some of you kids have read that book or maybe you've seen the movies. He wrote those stories, and he didn't know Jesus before he wrote those stories. Actually, he was living quite far from God. Actually, he believed that great stories 
These great stories from throughout time were merely, as he put it, quote, lies breathed through silver. But his friend, his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, got a picture of him here too, another handsome devil. They had a conversation together. And this guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he said this. He said, we have come from God, and inevitably the stories woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light. In other words, look underneath the stories. There's a bigger story at play here. The eternal truth of that is with God. You mean, said Lewis, that the story of Christ is simply a truer story, a story that works on us in the same way as the others, but a story that really happened? In that case, he said, I began to understand. And as the story that I've heard unfolded a few weeks later, he went from non-believer to asking Jesus to be his Lord and his Savior. He began to believe in the story of Jesus. These last several weeks, if you're our guest here, first of all, I'm so glad that you're with us. We love having guests join us here at Venture. But for the last several weeks, I'll catch you up on what we've been talking about. It's this idea that God has been telling a story since the dawn of time. You have a story, and where God's story intersects, intersects your story, great things can happen there. And then when you talk about this with friends, just like J.R.R. Tolkien had the conversation with C.S. Lewis, some amazing things happen at that intersection of faith. Every great story needs a hero because a hero changes everything. You know, actually, I'd rather cross out the A, the hero changes everything. Jesus, the hero of the greatest story ever told, he changes everything. The hero has a name. The story we just read, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The hero's name is Jesus. He's the hero that changes everything. He's a hero to know. He's a hero to trust. He's a hero to follow for an epic life's journey. So the question that we're leaning into tonight Jesus is the hero of the story, but here's the question. Is he the hero of your story? I want to real quick share with you three steps on our hero's journey. Step number one, Jesus is the hero of Christmas. He is. He's an unlikely hero. We didn't expect him to emerge as the hero of the story. He's a baby, for goodness sake. Oh, but he grows up to be the savior of the world. He's a humble hero, humble. Mary and Joseph, well, they had to scoop poop out of the way just to lay him down in the manger, his first bed. He's a humble hero, but make no mistake, he's a capable hero. Hear me, Santa Claus is not the hero of Christmas. Buddy the Elf, though hilarious, is not the hero of Christmas. Actually, I told you that I took a couple of my boys to Cracker Barrel yesterday. We ordered pancakes. Syrup comes with pancakes. We reenacted that whole scene in the movie right there in the middle of Cracker Barrel. George Bailey, though heroic, is not the hero of Christmas. And as much as it pains me to admit Clark W. Griswold is not the hero of Christmas, though he's hilarious, and that's still the best Christmas movie ever produced. I'll fight you if you think different. Followed a close second by Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. Don't even get me started. Have you ever heard of Handel's Messiah? 
this powerful musical experience that was written by a famous musician, Handel, 300 years ago-ish. He's writing about an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We just read about it. But that event was prophesied about 700 years before that moment. He weaves into the fabric of his storytelling a passage from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Check this out. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. This is a powerful story to tell. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We'll call him the Prince of Peace. This greatest story that's ever been told is designed to affect us. It's designed to change us. This happened to Handel even as he was composing Messiah. Without getting much sleep, he wasn't eating much food. His assistants are bringing him meals. And oftentimes these were just kind of left uneaten. And his servants would oftentimes find him in tears as he composed. And when he completed the hallelujah chorus, he reportedly told his servant, I think I did see all heaven before me. And the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. The greatest story ever told is designed to affect us. It's designed to change us. Remember, there's three steps on our hero's journey. Jesus is the hero of Christmas. Here's another one. Jesus is the hero of history. History, after all, is simply his story. I would submit to you that the entire Bible is about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing forward towards him. The whole New Testament is pointing back toward him and explaining the story and how we can connect with the hero of the story. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the hero of the Christmas story. Let me tell you about the hero of history. He's known by many names all throughout the Bible. Here's a few of them. He's known as Savior. He's known as Redeemer. He's known as the bread of life, Lord, creator, son of the living God. He's described as the only begotten son of the father. He's described as a beloved son. He's the holy one of Israel. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's known as the king of kings. He's known as the head of the church, the almighty, the alpha and the omega, master. He's described as the king of the Jews. He's described as the high priest, as prophet, teacher, advocate, mediator, judge, chief cornerstone, author and finisher of our faith, the lamb of God. He's described as the good shepherd, the word, the foundation of living waters. He's described as the rock, Messiah, true vine, branch, as the bridegroom, as dayspring, as Shiloh, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's described as the bright and morning star. He's described as the image of the invisible God. He's the great I am. He's the son of man. He's the carpenter. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the king of Israel. He's the Christ. He's the Lord of lords. And at Christmas, oh, we lean into the truth. He's Emmanuel. We're reminded during this season especially that God is with us. There's a villain in that story. Pastor Tony didn't read this portion. But there's a villain in the story. We read about him in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. His name is King Herod. He's a jealous villain. Of course, he's tapping into a much older story. There's a much truer villain. We know him as Satan. And King Herod is being used by him to persecute the baby Jesus. Herod inquired of them where the Christ was 
to be born. This is the, the wise men as they came. They wanted to worship the baby Jesus, the hero of the story. They, the wise men, told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler. Herod's thinking, we already have one. It's me. I'm the ruler who will shepherd my people. This, by the way, is quoting a much older story, several hundred years before this. The prophet Micah, in chapter 5, verse 2, you could look it up there, prophesies that the shepherd, the ruler, will come. When I say the whole Bible points to Jesus. Actually, there are more than 324 prophecies in the Old Testament that find their realization, their fulfillment in Jesus, the hero of the story. Let's talk about the prophecy coming true. There's a book that was written several years ago. A guy by the name of Peter Stoner wrote this book called Science Speaks. And he calculated the probability of Jesus fulfilling just seven of those 324 prophecies. Just seven. You know what the odds are? I'm not necessarily encouraging you to bet. But if you're going to bet... Bet on Jesus. He's a safe bet. Check this out. He concluded it would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. This is 100 million billion or 1 in 100 quadrillion. That's a crazy number to comprehend. Basically, the author, he illustrated this by saying what you would do if you wanted to see what the odds of 1 in 10 to the 17th power would be, take the entire state of Texas and cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars. That would be a pile about two feet tall. And then he said this. Let's read the quote. He said, now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these just seven prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. Remember, there are more than 324 of them. These are astronomical odds, literally. Jesus is the hero of history. And you can trust him as the object of your worship when you sing away in the manger. And here's the beauty of the Christmas story. The hero came not just for the main characters in the story, but for all the characters everywhere in all the stories, some yet to be written, your story, my story, your kids' stories, your kids' 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 story, where this is designed to be a legacy of faith. We see this foreshadowed in the nativity story. There's this prophet named Simeon. And he's been living his whole life to see these Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in his lifetime. And he says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 28. He, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I can die now in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In other words, this story is not just for the few people that got to meet the hero in a manger. This story is for all people, everywhere. Remember, there's three steps on our hero's journey. Jesus is the hero of Christmas. Jesus is the hero of history. Get this. 
Jesus is the hero of eternity. Kids, this means forever. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the touchdown verse? John 3, 16. I like that verse, but for my money, I like the verses that follow it as well. Let's read them. John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That half a sentence right there, that's the Christmas story. God loved so much that he gave his son. The greatest story ever told, that, that's the what, this is the why. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world. The verses go on. I love this. He didn't send his son into the world at Christmas time to condemn the world. No, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Does this sound like legal language? It's because it is. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Why? Because God is the righteous judge. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I love that whole passage of Scripture. And with light surrounding us tonight, Jesus is your hero. If, if you invite him to be. Remember that story I began with? It ended tragically, the story of the boy with too long of a name, Tiki Tiki Timbo. Not so for you. The end of your story should, could end with eternal life. Because Jesus is the hero of eternity. The Bible puts it this way in John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So back to the question that we started with. Jesus is the hero of the story. But is he the hero of your story? We're going to end the message part of tonight's service with an opportunity, a decision time. Listen, Jesus is a gentleman. He won't force himself on you. He wants you to decide to follow him. I told that story earlier about Tiki Tiki Timbo, and it had some life and death consequences, and Grandma might have been a, Jesus, a genius because she had a well in the backyard, and I didn't play by the well because the truth she told in that story Here's the truth. The Bible tells the story. There's life after death. And the most loving thing to do is to tell the truth. So here's the truth. An eternity apart from God is hell. An eternity with God, the hero of the story, that's heaven. So could I invite you right now, every one of us in this space, to simply bow our heads, and to close our eyes. And I want to give you the opportunity to decide, to choose. Jesus is your hero if you invite him to be. And everyone in this space has opportunity to make a decision right now.
Because some of us, we've been following Jesus for a very long time. Maybe he's been the hero of your story for 50 years. I'm going to invite you right now to think of one way to make Jesus more Lord of your life. Think of one way to invite Jesus to be more of the hero in your story in 2022. This is a brilliant time to make a decision for the next year. How do you double down on the fact that he's the hero of your life? How do you double down on his lordship? Make that decision. Just one thing. What can you do right now that's one way to invite Jesus to be more of the hero in your story? Some of us. Some of us, we walked into this space today, and if we're super honest, Jesus is not the hero of our story. He's not the savior yet of your life because you've not invited him yet to do that, to play that role in your life. So right now, I'm going to invite you, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If I'm talking to you, this could be the moment. This could be the moment years from now that you'd look back on and say, that night, 2021, tail end of a worldwide pandemic, I made this most important decision of my life to make Jesus the hero of my story. If that's you, I would simply invite you to pray a version of this prayer. You can just repeat it silently to, yourself, to God as you pray in your seat. Let me kind of pray. You pray along with me. Dear God, I recognize that I am a sinner, that my sin separates me from a holy God. Jesus, I need you to be the hero in my story. I'm overwhelmed. So I ask you to save me. And I ask you to lead me through life as the hero. You lead, I'll follow. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, that's the most important prayer you ever pray. Let me tell you what's next for you. It's as simple as counting to five on your fingers. What you just did is, is faith. I believe. I choose to follow Jesus. Number two is repentance. This means you turn around. You're going this direction in sin. You stop, turn around, and you go this way. Number three is baptism. We're buried with Christ. We rise to brand new life, the Bible says, which yields the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love nothing more than to share those steps with you and encourage you with your next steps. When the service is done and everybody else is heading that way, I'll be hanging out over here underneath the cross where Pastor Tony was just sitting. I would love to talk with you and help you with those next steps of faith. Right now, could I invite everybody to stand up with us? We're going to lean in right now to worship on this Christmas Eve. Right now, let's worship our hero.